0: In 2007, I was divorced, in debt, stuck, in a soul-sucking job, desperate to have a meaningful, fulfilling life, but not sure where to begin. I made a simple choice at the time, to start honoring my yes, and to start speaking my no. Consequences be damned, after all, how could my life possibly get any worse? I began the long path of becoming a professional songwriter, finding my fearless voice along the way. Now, I'm living my dream life as a husband, father, and professional storyteller. As a mentor and certified coach, I help award-winning filmmakers, professional authors, ghostwriters, songwriters, and other self-employed creatives to do the same. If you find inspiration from this podcast, I encourage you to begin the next stage of your own hero's journey. Will he resist the call to adventure, or will he make the choice to embark on a quest of growth and fulfillment? In the description and show notes, you'll find a link to book your free 30-minute discovery session, or you can email me, ethan at ethanfreckleton.com, including fearless storyteller in the subject. Laura Stewart is a self-described geek and intellectual badass. As the winner of the prestigious Nautilus Award for her internationally best-selling book, What Would a Wise Woman Do? she knows something about turning off the autopilot to unlock the hidden gold within. But no matter the accomplishments, life goes on and offers challenges that are often profoundly difficult. In this episode, we explore her history and insights and also ask, what happens after life has taken away your purpose? Laura Stewart, welcome to the Fearless Storyteller.
1: It's an honor to be here.
0: Yeah, it's lovely to have you. I've been lucky enough to be getting to chat with you um more than once recently.
1: Yeah, it was exciting to be able to interview you and getting such amazing feedback already on the people who listen to it live on iHeart. So, um well, That's awesome. Yeah, it's a joy to be here with you with the mic flipped on me. <laughs>
0: Great. Well, since I have different listeners than you may have on iHeartRadio and in Vero Beach, why don't you tell the audience, anybody who's listening, uh, about yourself?
1: Well, that's always the hardest part, right, is it talk is. about myself.
0: <laughs> it is. I have services geared for people who have struggled to talk about themselves, but I know that's not your problem, Laura.
1: <laughs> well, the, the basics of it are I'm a geek, although I prefer intellectual badass
2: hmm.
1: and I owned a technology services company that had offices in Connecticut and Florida for over 15 years. And I, I also do work with management consulting and business consulting. And after I sold my company, I wrote a book. What would a wise woman do questions to ask along the way? Yeah. Uh, I'm so proud to say it won a Nautilus book award, which was just so powerful and, and such an honor, really, to receive that. And since I sold my company, I've been doing a lot more of the writing, speaking, hmm. basic... And then I have my own radio show on iHeartRadio, and it goes to podcast called It's All About the Questions. But my focus really is to help people learn the right questions to ask so that they can take their business and their lives to the next level levels that they never even imagined they could be at because really Ethan, what I've learned over the years is the right questions can change your life. Mm. If you don't ask the right questions, you don't get the answers that matter.
0: Oh man. Well, that's a lot of pressure because that means you have to like ask questions and be thoughtful. Um, so in your book, what would a wise woman do? You talk about living life on autopilot. Um, So what does that mean to you? What is autopilot?
1: Well, the best way to describe it is, have you ever taken a drive? Maybe it's a drive you've taken every day. And all of a sudden you realize you're at your destination, but you don't remember how you got there. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So you went on autopilot for that journey. You didn't see anything that was going on around you. Thankfully, you got there safely, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: (laughs) but you didn't interact with, you didn't perceive anything, you just got there. And that's autopilot. Mm -hmm. And many of us, myself included, go throughout life on autopilot. We're like, okay, this is where we're supposed to go. And we get in these ruts and we just drive the same road every single day, even when there's maybe an exit sign or a detour that could be really powerful for us to take because a goal that we set 20 years ago, 30 years ago, five years ago, may not be the right goal for us anymore.
2: Mm.
1: Because our lives have changed. We have new information because we've asked new questions. New data has come in and we're like, oh, you know, I always wanted to be X But now I realize, no, what I really want is to be Z. Hmm. But Hmm. we don't take that road because we got on autopilot. And we're like, no, this is where I wanted to go. I'm here and I'm going to stay here.
0: Yeah. Or I suppose, you know, taking your metaphor, I drive by these certain exits all the time. And I think, hmm, I wonder what's down there. And maybe... Maybe I start my drive thinking I'm going to get off on this exit today, but by the time I'm there, I'm blowing past it because I'm back on autopilot. I've certainly done that in real life plenty of times where oh, like, absolutely. maybe I set out to go somewhere else and just in the course of driving, just fall back into old habits and not even paying attention.
1: that's so perfect that you said that ethan because it's like that rut i mentioned yeah we're on autopilot all the time we're going down the same brain path Mm -hmm. every single day and just like a road have you ever been on the highway and you try to change lanes and it's like your tires don't want to leave the lane they're in and you have to kind of get out of this little depression mm-hmm. that got created because all the cars, all the trucks drove straight in the middle of that lane constantly yeah. and it creates this rut. Well, yeah. it takes time to fill those ruts to bring them up to street level again so that it's easy to make those turns.
0: hmm mm. So there's a lot of great stuff here. And, and I'm curious how you arrived at this awareness about yeah. yourself. Like, sounds like you're doing great. You had your own business, uh, soldier business. Like what, what did it, what was the downside of being on autopilot?
1: I wasn't happy. hmm and i realized that well, i was getting sicker and sicker health wise i was struggling to get out of bed in the mornings i really wasn't growing the business e- more and i began to be irritated at so many things mm-hmm. all i was doing was working even my after hours stuff was working related you know you're on i was on boards i I was doing everything with the chamber of commerce. I was constantly at charity things and, you know, I thought I loved it all. Mm-hmm. But one day I was in a business situation with a minority partner and he said something to me. This is after I had moved down to Florida to help take care of my parents. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had the office in Florida. So, you know, it was like, i was still doing things back and forth, but I'd left him basically in charge of most of the things day to day up there. And he said he wouldn't help me unless I changed his contract. He wouldn't do anything further to help the company unless I changed his contract. Mm. That he never should have signed the contract he signed and and all this other stuff. And there's obviously a lot more to that story. I talk about it in the book and I talk about it on a I was interviewed by somebody, John Warlow, for his podcast and he wrote an article about the whole thing on forbes magazine so people can find that if they want more details great but all of a sudden in that one moment i was sitting there and i had taken a course from the school of practical philosophy when i was writing my book and they had said whenever you're in a situation where you're not sure what path to take Mm -hmm. and even begin to think of the questions that you want to take here's the assignment the assignment is ask what would someone wiser than me do in this situation they said pick somebody you know that always gives great advice or seems wiser so Mm -hmm. i mean the name of my book what would a wise woman do kind of came from that whole Uh. concept so i said to myself what would a wise woman in this situation. And I realized, okay, don't get mad at this person. Take care of what you need to take care of and then start thinking about it. And then the next question I asked myself was, what do I really want to do in this situation? And I realized that for years, I was only keeping the business alive because of my obligations to other people. And because I thought I would be a failure if I sold my company. Mm. Because I didn't feel like I had built it up to the right levels that it should be. And, and even there was fear, right? There was fear of all these things that would happen if I hadn't built it up further. Mm. And what would I do if I sold the company and what would people think of me? So yeah. for years, I just kept going and going yeah. and going. And it was this one moment that created this awareness. It was the straw, right? That broke the camel's back. And I went, I need to move on. Mm. I need to do what's right for me. So I said, all right, I'm going to sell the company. Three weeks later, I had sold it. I had many people that wanted to buy my business Mm. and I ended up selling it, took a contract with a company that bought my company for a year and a half. And it was such a difference. Mm. And I felt so free afterwards. And then I started writing the book after that contract ended. And I was like, what do I want to write this book about? And all of a sudden it hit me. You know, everybody always said, Laura, you seem to make all these right choices. Mm. It's like you're, you're blessed and everything just goes your way and you never seem to make bad decisions. Mm. And I was like, oh, my God, I make so many. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and, I, and I realized they don't see that because in my head, I go through so many different scenarios before I would make a leap on a decision. I would ask all these different questions right. and figure out what potential answers could be from those different questions right. to try to reduce the amount of not so good scenarios to go down, right? Sure. So that I would stay off autopilot as much as possible, but know when to take detours.
2: Mm. Yeah, And, it's kind
1: and of, that, when I started yeah. writing the book, I went, oh my God, this is the way I've always lived my life. What stopped me from doing that when I had my own company and I realized I had allowed myself to get back on autopilot?
0: Mm.
1: I hope that answered the question.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So the the only part that's not obvious to me um, is why write a book?
1: It was something I wanted to do my whole life. I loved writing. I loved reading. Reading was a passion for me. Books were my favorite place to live. Mm. I could devour books. My mother always said, She couldn't afford to keep me in books. So she got me a library card Mm. and I would go to the library and I would take like 10 books out at a time. And I remember the librarian in the children's section, not allowing me to take all those books. And I got really mad. My mom's like, what's the matter? And I said, (laughs) "Won't let me take all these books out. And the woman goes, she'll never read those in the time it has to come back. Mm. It was the summer. And my mother goes, yes, she will. And the woman goes, that's not possible. <laughs> and I goes, well, you don't know her. So the woman let me take the 10 books. And then my mom said, hey, when you go back, you need to tell her what each book's about. <laughs> I, I, I was like, yeah, sure. Not a problem. Because I had a really strong memory back then. And I walked in and I, I, the same librarian was there. And I went, this one's all about this. And I like this part the best. And I went through and from then on, she would let me take out as many books as I wanted.
0: That's amazing.
1: And, yeah. And there was just such a passion for me for it. And I always wrote. In grammar school, I wrote. And I, I was editor of the school, PS29 school paper. Mm. In, in high school, I wrote. And in after I graduated college and I was working, I was a technical writer for years. But then when I started my own company, I had a column in the hour newspapers in Connecticut on business. So I've always mm. written and it was just, I really wanted to write a book. So yeah. the opportunity presented itself, and I did.
0: And so was the thought, well, I have this free time, I'll write a book, or was it was it um, I have something I strongly want to explore and say? was it was it more that you had the answer or was it that you needed space to explore the answers? some combination literally
1: went it literally went down like this ethan i was told they're not going to renew my contract and it was going to end at the end of um, december of that year of 2010 Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and i was i literally (laughs) looked up to heaven and i went now what do i do like Mm -hmm. asking god now what do i do yeah and i instantaneously heard you're going to write a book called what would a wise Woman Do." It was so clear and I went seriously (laughs) And again, I heard yes, you're going to write this book And I spent three months just decompressing after Leaving the the tech world and ending that contract So I spent three months decompressing just reading Beginning to explore myself a little bit more to find out who I was jotting down a few notes, Hmm. and then I got ready and I wrote the book.
2: That's amazing.
1: I got a publishing contract right away. And I got an agent right away. So I knew it was meant to be.
0: So what's, what's, what's that like in terms of mindset when you're trying to get an agent or going through that process of seeking approval from others for your idea?
1: But that's another, that's another lesson in being fearless, right? Which is what you were all about. I, a friend of mine had suggested that I go to this conference. And I went, okay, I'll go. So I went out to California to go to this conference because this person had been very successful in publishing and online marketing and consulting and and all those different things. So I thought, if I'm going into a new business, you want to learn from the people at the top. And I went to the conference and he brought his publishers on stage, Morgan James Publishing. Hmm. And they were talking about the whole process of being published. And uh, David Hancock and Rick Fishman stood up there and they said, Hey, anybody who's here, if you see us in the hallway, pitch us. We're offering that to everybody that's here today. Mm. And I hadn't written a word of the book yet. I had kind of drafted an outline, but that's all I had. I had a title and an idea.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And I was wandering through the hallway and I saw David just sitting in a chair. (laughs) I walked past. And then I turned around and I saw there were only a couple of people online and David just looked so engaged with the people he was talking to. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I said, what's the worst that could happen? He tells me it's a horrible idea.
0: Yeah. That's a great question too. What's the worst that can happen?
1: Right. So I just said, okay, I've got nothing to lose. So I stood in line and I'm going every time I got closer to to him and I'm listening to him, what he's saying to people, I'm like, Oh, God. Oh, God. And I almost got off the line a couple of times, but something planted my feet there. And I got up to him and it was my turn. And he just looked at me and he said, how can I serve you? Mm. Mm. Not what I was expecting. Yeah. Say that to the other people. At least I don't remember him saying that. And I looked at him and I went, well, I'm hoping I could serve you or something like that. I said, I have an idea for a book. It's not super fleshed out. I haven't written anything yet, but I'd like to hear what you think of it. So he has me sit down and everybody else, there were like these five, 10 minute conversations. And he sat with me for over 20, 25 minutes and asked me a whole bunch of questions. And he went, I love you. I love the idea for the book. You are the person to write the book but Mm. because you haven't written anything yet. I don't know whether you can write this book. So he said, I need you to write a book proposal. And give me some sample chapters and get it over to me. Mm -hmm. And he was going to be at an event called Author 101 six weeks later that I had gotten a free ticket to. So I went, okay, I'll have this for you before the conference because I know you're going to be there. Well, Mm -hmm. six weeks later, I had an entire book proposal written. And I had four chapters of the book written. Mm -hmm. And I sent that to them just before I got on the plane, got off the plane. And you were able to pitch to other publishers there and to agents. Perfect. And I knew Morgan James was interested in my book already. So I went in there going, well, I have somebody interested in my book already. So there was this one agent that was known as like the hard nose guy that he never said yes to anybody. Mm-hmm. So instead of walking up to him saying, I want you to be my agent, I said, I'm just looking for some advice. I'm writing a book. and." you know, you have this incredible expertise. I said, I'm not looking for an agent at this point. I'm not ready. I just want your advice. So he asked me some questions and two minutes into the five minute thing, he goes, I want to sign you. Nice. (laughs) And then I went up to another agent and did the same thing. And he goes, I want to sign you. (laughs)
0: Great.
1: I went up to some other ones and they wanted no part of me because I didn't have a big enough platform. Ah. And... I went, okay, that's fine. But I had two of the biggest agents that wanted to sign me because I wasn't trying to sell them. Mm. I was trying to learn from them. And I think when you're in that kind of environment, that's a great way to approach it.
2: Mm. I love that.
1: Yeah, and a lot of people don't approach it from there because I was like, you know, there is no guarantee that in five minutes somebody's gonna to want to sign you. So what's the most I can get from those five minutes?
0: Well, it certainly takes the pressure off of the interaction.
1: Totally. He just yeah. looked at me and he went, What do you mean you don't want me to sign you?
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: and I'm like, Well, I, I need to learn before that can even happen.
0: <laughs> mm. that, that's that's so there's a lot of great stuff there. And I guess the question lurking there in the back of my mind, I don't know if you can put yourself in the headspace to remember like or reflect on it, but so you meet Morgan James at this conference and he gives you homework. And it just so happens that there's a six-week window opportunity, right? Right. And what do you think would have happened If he said, give me a proposal and sample chapters, and there wasn't this six-week deadline.
1: I'd like to believe that I would have still sat right down and got it done, but Mm -hmm. I don't know. There's something about deadlines and windows that I work very well with. Yeah. And understand, I've been in the tech world for a really, really long time. And I'm used to having to get things operational when they're down at the worst time of a company's business life. Mm-hmm. And I tend to thrive on deadlines.
0: Yeah, it sounds perfect.
1: It, it was absolutely perfect. But I also look at those situations, Ethan, as I was given exactly what I need to succeed. Yeah. And because I was fearless, I was able to grab on it. That's not always been my life since then. Hmm i
2: Mm.
1: when you were on my show yesterday we talked a little bit about i've been in a fear cycle for very long and i'm starting to come out of it again which is why i was so excited when i got introduced to you by ivana siska yeah was because she knew i needed it and you needed to meet me for some reason as well i believe that every situation that we're put in we can choose to either grow from or or die from Mm. and sometimes when you're in that non-grow phase where you're it's an autopilot in its own way but not not a forward-moving autopilot it's sort of an autopilot where you're just on a treadmill and you make no movement at all you're just stuck in a pattern that doesn't serve you mm. in any way positive
0: and do you think do you think that that's because holding on to an old goal or just holding on or is there a belief about capacity to kind of wrangle through or navigate another change
1: I think it's all of those, Ethan, and situations and health situations can come in and you just get so tired that that rut builds up even higher because you're so exhausted. And as Dr. Daniel Amen, who wrote the great book, Change Your Mind, Change Your Life, said, and I I talk about it in my book too, he calls them ants, Mm -hmm. automatic negative thoughts yes where they just keep going and going and going where you can't get through in your head you can't let go of those thoughts they just keep cycling Mm -hmm. and then they become bigger and bigger and bigger and it takes something from outside of you to trigger something inside of you that gives you enough awareness so that you can begin to fight those thoughts from building the rut up even higher Right, right. And in, in my case, it was caregiving for my mom for a lot of years and my dog who died right after I got divorced. And there was just all this stuff that was happening and my health started taking a, a major hit. Mm-hmm. And then I fell and broke my foot. And four days later, I fell off the knee scooter while my mom was at a rehab center and I severely damaged my wrist. So I was in a boot and a cast <laughs> And I couldn't function. (laughs) Yeah. And it was just like, how do I work in these situations? I don't know who I am. I Mm. I don't know how to work when I can't leave my house physically or because of my mom.
0: Mm. Yeah. That's a very relatable experience. I think, you know, we all end up in that phase. And so you mentioned that you're, that, you've been stuck in this place and like I don't even think I could describe it as a negative thing as far as you go as far as a flaw right because we all have capacity and a lot of our capacity is based on how we're physically feeling right right and sometimes you know whether it's cultural or otherwise you know we've we've learned to ignore i almost want to say the whole idea of capacity in in sense of well i always have i should always be doing something i should always have capacity i should be producing things my identity is tied to my output and and
1: oh i know that one
0: (laughs) yeah and and i know from like universally with people i work with whether they're aspiring creative or professional thriving career that there's it comes down to a lot, lot of people are unaware of their capacity or unforgiving of having a limiting limited capacity
1: well it, it's so true and for me the other part that happened at the same time was i'm 56 okay Mm. and i think i've been a caregiver my entire life
2: Mm.
1: when i was born into my family my brother was three years old and he was born with a congenital heart defect and always had a pacemaker to keep him alive and they never expected him to live even to three and he passed away when he was 13 So I grew up in a house where everybody was paying attention to Robert because we needed to make sure he was okay. So even from a young age, I was caregiving. And then I was worried about my parents after my brother died and and all these other things. And every job I've ever taken, it was take care of other people. Even Mm -hmm. running my own tech services company, it's about taking care of my clients, taking care of my staff
2: right
1: taking care of the community right and doing philanthropy and all that other stuff and then when my dad died in 2010 and i had gotten married in 2009 my dad dies in 2010 my husband has a heart attack in his 40s mm-hmm. and i have to take care of him and then my mom 8 months later has open heart surgery and i'm i'm just taking care of everybody and I put my business mm. and everything aside at that point. Well, I'm divorced. I no longer have my dog mm-hmm. who passed away from bladder cancer. And then mom died two years ago, coming up October 1st. Right. And I'm alone. I have nobody I'm responsible for except myself. Mm-hmm. I don't have clients. I have my radio show, which is once a week. So I have some listeners, but I don't feel like I'm responsible for them other than to produce a show every week. If you know what I mean?
2: I do. Yeah.
1: And it's like, I lost my purpose as a friend said, mm-hmm. but for the first time in my life, Ethan, there was this fear of, I don't know who I am. Right. I don't know what I'm meant to do in the world. And what if I, I do it wrong? Never thought about that before, ever.
0: Mm. Mm. And what, what do you like? What if I do it wrong? Is an interesting question. Did you try to answer that one?
1: Well, I answered it from several different places, right? The intellectual space, the heart space. Mm. Asking myself why five times in a row because I find when you do that. You and there's an exercise in the book and on the website. If people go up to my website, they can download a workbook to take them through this thing. Great. But when you ask yourself why five times in a row, by the third or fourth time you can't give surface answers if you really take the exercise seriously. So by the fifth time you ask yourself why you get to the to the root of the issue. And the the it really boiled down to what if I step into this and I fall flat on my face? Yeah. Which is nothing I ever worried about before, but all of a sudden it mattered because I didn't have, you know, degrees to lean upon that I understood all the tech or Mm. the certifications or, you know, even my master's in management and organizational behavior, understanding all that stuff intellectually. I was going into a world of stuff that I'm that I wanted to do that was really more heart focused
2: mm-hmm.
1: and required, again, a lot of me being very tight with people. But everybody was telling me, no, what you need to do is online marketing and mm. you know, create an online course and not connect with people. And I knew in my heart when I started asking myself that question, Ethan was that I know that other people are doing that really successfully. Yeah. But it's really not who I am or who I want to be. I want to be that person that when I'm standing on a stage, when I'm interviewing somebody, I had the pleasure of interviewing Debbie Maycomber and, and Nicholas Sparks on stages and James Rollins, mm. right? That the audience can feel my heart that I really genuinely care. Mm -hmm. And when I've stood on stages and been a keynote speaker, I want people to feel I'm speaking right to them because I am and that they can come up afterwards and talk to me and ask me any question they want. And I'm going to be honest and tell them, and how do I do that through a course? Mm -hmm. But then at the same time, I had to say to myself, that requires a lot of energy and a lot of effort, right? Do I have the health for that? Mm. And I, I couldn't answer yes to that part. So instead of doing a little bit, cause I don't know how to do a little bit, right. Mm. <laughs> I only knew how to be this um, ultimate achiever person. You know, it's not in for a penny it's in for, you know, what's the, a ton kind of thing. Yeah. So I don't know how to step into that. It's something I'm still trying to learn,
0: right? So it sounds like this idea of readiness and perfection and having a roadmap clearly figured out, right? Like almost the rules of the road. Um, it sounds like you're you've been waiting for that.
1: Yeah, and it's not coming in a way. That- <laughs> Like it to that it'd be clearer. So I've had to learn in these last two years right. since mom passed and that I injured my ear and couldn't even be around sound. I couldn't drive, still can't, still not yeah. driving. And, you know, being around sound is very difficult. I'm learning that I have to change that, not I have to, that what's best for me mm. is to shift how I think about perfection and about who I am.
0: Mm. Say more about that.
1: Yeah. yeah, Well, have you ever heard of Meredith Vieira, the journalist?
0: Um, Let's say I haven't.
1: Okay. Especially
0: since the audience may not have as well.
1: So Meredith Vieira, Google her, everybody. She is an amazing journalist and was on morning shows, night news shows, uh, she, at one point, I think, was the host of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Okay. As well. But she's just this amazing journalist. And she was interviewed by Parade Magazine, which comes in the Sunday papers here in the United States. And in it, she talked about how she had just come back from an affair in the Hamptons, some black tie thing, and she had to get all dressed up for it. And the interview was at her home in Cape Cod. And she says, I really love being in Cape Cod because I can just be me. And she's Mm -hmm. wearing like comfy clothing, shall we say. Mm -hmm. And And I get dressed up to go to the Hamptons, but there's always something off. She says, I'm always a little bit disheveled.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) And over the years, she said she had to learn to accept that's who she is and wear it as a badge of honor. It's just who she is. She's always a little bit disheveled. Yeah. But to embrace it. Yeah. And ever since I read that interview several years ago, I've been trying to shift and embrace the always a little bit disheveled because... I can't tell you how many black tie events I used to go to. And as soon as I would get out of my car, my stockings would run. And I used Uh to carry extra pantyhose with me because invariably something would go wrong with my outfit. Yeah. (laughs) And and then I realized nobody even paid attention to it.
0: Nobody cared. Yeah.
1: Except for me. And, and I was just like, all right, Lori, you gotta get over yourself. (laughs) More yeah. people pay attention to what's going on for themselves than they're paying attention. That
0: is such a lesson, isn't it? Like oh, yeah. that, first... that's that's one of those big eye-opening truths is people aren't paying attention.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and I I, fe- I literally fell on stage once. Yeah. I, I pace when I'm on stage, you know, I cover both all the whole audience and everything. I hate when they give me a podium and I'm kind of stuck behind it. I prefer walking mics and somehow I tripped and thank God I wasn't wearing a dress <laughs> and uh-huh. I, I fell flat on my butt and then my head went back and I was laying there totally embarrassed. The whole place got deathly quiet. I was still holding the microphone in my hand. Right. And I'm just kind of taking stock. Mm-hmm. And the whole place is really quiet and you hear this <gasps> gasp.
2: Uh-huh.
1: And I had the microphone and I go, well, I could tell you that was planned, but it wasn't. So I'm just going to lay here for a moment. And then I went, I'm okay. And then I sat up and I said, I think that was quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> and and I just started talking from where I was sitting on the ground. Yeah. And the whole place just started laughing hysterically. Yeah. And then I got up and I go, where was I?
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Before I before I took that header and, yeah. and we just laughed about it. And people came up to me afterwards telling me how much that meant to them that I got up and just started laughing. Yeah. And moved on because they couldn't get past that. And it was because, well, things happen. I'm a little bit disheveled.
0: Yeah, and you know, that's there's a lot to that, and and I wonder if it's true, and maybe your experiences back it up or not. It's almost as if people are looking to you for cues about how they should feel about you.
1: Oh, I agree with that a hundred percent, and that is so brilliant.
0: Yeah and and so you were able to use that moment to set the narrative about yourself and tell people what they should think about your experience and and how you're showing up. And I imagine that when we're on autopilot, you know, we're still setting people's expectations about how to feel about us, but we're not consciously doing so.
1: After my mom died It was like a week after she had passed away. I received an email from somebody who had heard me speak at a conference years ago. And they asked if I would speak at a conference and they gave me a date on it. And I was like, well, you mean 2018, right? And they're like, oh no, we mean in two weeks. (laughs) I Googled this conference and it was a huge event. Hundreds of people were gonna be at it. They had this long list of powerhouse speakers in technology and cybersecurity. And I was like, you want me? And they were like, well, we heard you speak at this other event and we'd love for you to be there. And I was like, well, my mom just passed away Mm. and, and all this other stuff. And I sent them back and they like, well, we would really love to have you. And I, I sent back this note, you know, I really feel like mom sent this for me to do. So if you would like me, I would love to speak at the conference. Mm. And it happened to be a two hour drive from my house. So it wasn't like I had to get on a plane or anything like that. And when I got to the event, uh, it turned out they gave me the closing keynote.
2: Mm. Space.
1: And they put me on a panel. I didn't know any of this. They just said, can you speak, right? And I get there and on the closing keynote and I'm on this panel with all these other women. And I arrive at the event and the entire board is there and they introduced themselves to me and they hugged me
2: Hmm. because
1: they all knew about my mom yeah oh and they thanked me for being there yeah and what got me was after the event was over and i broke down on stage Hmm. talking about my speech because there's a picture of my mom in it and I've learned to be very present when I'm at events speaking because I take cues from my audience, right? Yeah. Based on the energy I'm feeling from them when I'm saying things. And I had to take a pause because like now I was very emotional. And it was a women in tech event. And all of a sudden I felt this wave of energy
2: mm-hmm.
1: come from the audience and wash over me and lift me up. Mm-hmm. And I opened my eyes and looked up and the love was so powerful. Mm. I had opened my heart so they knew they could open theirs to help Mm. Mm -hmm. And once the event was all over, everybody had come up to me. But then the event people came up to me and they said to me, when we heard your mom died and that you wanted to come, Mm. we rearranged the event to give you whatever space you wanted. And That's we felt the closing keynote would be perfect for you to honor your mother. Yeah. I mean, who hears about a tech events?
0: <laughs> <laughs> not often, no.
1: no. No, no, not often at all. And I'm still very good friends with everybody from that, that event. Um, yeah. And so long way around it, Ethan was, yeah, it's exactly what you said. People are looking For how you act to take cues for how they should act. It's a that is so brilliant. Yeah. Never thought of it that way.
0: Yeah, that's a beautiful, beautiful story. And you know, you you were self aware enough, and and maybe it built up enough trust to get to the point where you could open your heart up and be vulnerable, and and get that feedback loop right. Right. Be you were, you were present enough and grounded enough and vulnerable enough to be able to receive it, and to notice it. And I, I can, I know from being a witness, and whether it's my own life or or observing others, how many times people don't notice. And and I know there's there's a leap of faith in there somewhere. To be because you have to be the one to initiate the loop to get the reward from it. Right. Like right. being, being cl- if you're closed off, it's like kind of a catch 22 if you're closed off, you'll never get the help you need or the support in the moment.
1: And I think the only way you can get there is if you're being authentically you. Yeah. You know, the work that you do with being the ambassador of fearless storytelling and helping people express themselves creatively, Mm. it's all about you helping people find their authentic self and learning to express it.
0: Right. And And, to trust that there's a reward on the other side of that.
1: Right. And since my mom died, I'm trying to figure out who I am. Cause I, I, I've like stopped trusting myself.
2: Mm. Yeah. And because
1: the health issues have sort of changed who I am. Right. If yeah. who I am is somebody that speaks, that talks, that interacts. It's, it's like my whole identity has been caught up in connecting with people.
0: Right. Well, and I know, I know one person that like is still available for you to connect with and caretake. And that would be you. Um, Oh, yeah.
1: Okay, that's gonna make me cry.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but I see that about you. You, you, you show up and you be authentic and and you and grounded and and I've noticed in our conversation, you know, that all the identity is is associated with. The action piece of it, the doing part. And then there's the whole other half, which is the being part.
1: I have a thing on my wall that I printed off that somebody had emailed me. Mm. And it says, Instead of focusing so much on a to do list, I'm starting a to be list. (laughs) (laughs) And I was looking at it yesterday when. You were on the air with me. Mm -hmm. And I went, you know, I'm still not being, still trying to do.
0: Yeah.
1: In the immortal words of Frank Sinatra, dooby dooby doo."
0: (laughs) Doobie doobie doo. You know, you were you were starting to tell me about yesterday, and I really wanted to hear this story. Um, because you know, you've been in this challenging place and your capacity has been lower and that can be kind of a re- self reinforcing pattern, right? Right. Um, unless something extraordinary pushes you out of that. And I know that recently you had that extraordinary circumstance being that you live in Florida and there was a hurricane that was coming. And did you want to talk about your hurricane evacuation moment it sounded like there was a an insight there
1: there was a a huge insight there now granted i had to go on a lot of steroids in preparation for Mm. whether we were going to stay or go because i have something called sound induced vertigo and hyperacusis so noise triggers vertigo and nausea Mm -hmm. It can bring me to my bring me to my knees and trigger panic attack cycles And if you stay in your home during a hurricane, it's a lot of noise with all the shutters and hurricanes sound like freight trains coming and the tornadoes that can whip around with them. Yeah. So just recently, Hurricane Dorian, which devastated the Bahamas so horribly, was on track for a Cat 4 or a Cat 5 hit directly Mm. where I live in the Vero Beach-Sebastian area. It was supposed to make landfall At those speeds, and then go inland and basically stay for several days going across the state of Florida. And we finally decided to evacuate my friend Cindy, who's just been a lifesaver driving me everywhere, her dog Daisy, and her 102 year old aunt. And we decided to evacuate to my friend, the Chiarellos house in Fort Mill, South Carolina, because if the storm really hits, we wanted to get out of Dodge. Because the whole state of Florida could just be a problem. And with a 102 year two-year-old, you don't want no power. No. Or the roof cave in because you can't move fast enough to get out. Hmm. So we went to our friend's house. But that drive in good times without traffic on the roads is about nine and a half hours. And I could barely make it to Orlando as a passenger in a car, which is um, an hour and a half to two-hour drive. Mm-hmm. without getting sick from the sounds of the cars and everything. So I started dosing up on steroids and this was the same drive I would be taking that caused the injury to my ear the year before.
2: Mm.
1: And I was just like on adrenaline. Cause we got to get out. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but the steroids will help. And, and Cindy's like, Laura, don't worry. We will get through this. And I talked to a friend in the car because she was checking to make sure I was on my way out. And I had her dog Daisy on my lap, and who's this wonderful Shorty, a Shih Tzu Yorkie mix that she rescued. My mm. friend says, Oh, you've got your therapy dog on the lap. That's perfect. That will keep you even calmer. And I went, Oh, yes, I do. So all these people mm. helped me get through that drive and shift my thinking, number one, about that drive that severely injured me and changed my life the year before but also i'm in a car for it ended up being a 12-hour trip with the number of stops we made and some traffic Hmm. i went i survived and i got there and i was pretty pretty disheveled (laughs) internally (laughs) Right. right and my friends were just like go to bed and I woke up the next morning and I felt better. And they have a four-year-old and two dogs, and my friends are from Brooklyn and Queens. So, like me, we're loud, you know. And and they knew that they had to be quiet. And their daughter kept trying. And I had some really bad instances where we tried a restaurant one day
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I had to leave the restaurant because I was getting so sick. So mm-hmm. I went out to the car. And told them, when the food comes, you guys eat. Don't worry, I'm fine out in the car. I will sit out here and just get mine to go or leave it. I don't care. Well, 10 minutes later, they all come out with their food. And I'm like, why'd you do that? And they said, because we're here for you. Mm -hmm. We're not going to sit in there without you. And we got back to their house and I tried to eat my food, but I was still really struggling. And my friend Gus, he's like, Laura you don't have to strong or pretend for us. Mm -hmm. Just whatever you need, we're here for you. And everybody just looked at me and I, he hugged me and I started crying, of course. And in that moment, I realized I'm alive.
2: Mm. Mm.
1: I'm in South Carolina. I'm not in my house. I'm making it through and it shifted something in my head that all of a sudden I wasn't in that deep fear anymore. Ethan, Mm. it was this massive shift of, I can choose to focus on that. I freaked out in the restaurant called it. I got too cocky. Yeah. And then this hypnotherapist I've been working with for brain retraining that the surgeon wanted me to have, she texted me back and she said, No, you didn't get cocky. Watch your words.
2: Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. You tried and it was just too much. Yeah. And you did the right thing by removing yourself from the sensory overload. That doesn't mean you can't try again. You may want to try a little quieter restaurant. And yeah. it hit me that. I'm surrounded by people that want me to succeed and are willing to help. And because I voiced instead of trying to be wonder woman in that moment, Mm -hmm. I really became wonder woman because I voiced my need in the moment. Mm. And I was, you know, I listened to myself and I was heard by myself and other people.
0: Yeah. That's huge that's
1: massive. That's,
0: like that is uh, that's the whole thing like the being able to uh, notice the need to be able to speak the need and to recognize that yeah everybody wants you to succeed it's,
1: and it's so so
0: much there yeah
1: yeah it's so important though to, for those pieces that happen though you know the When I expressed this problem, I focused on the problem first. It was like, I got cocky. I couldn't do it. And then Mm -hmm. these other people were like, yeah, but look at all the other things you did before it.
0: Right. And and it
1: wasn't cocky. You tried. It just didn't work out, but that's okay. Cause you Mm -hmm. tried and now you can try it a different way or whatever it might be. So having those other people when you're stuck in those mind ruts, those negative thoughts,
2: because mm-hmm.
1: that rut could have immediately just, you know, built right back up. Yeah. But instead they filled it in some more. So I got lifted higher.
0: Yeah. And th- this lesson and what you're talking about, that metaphor, it's, I think that's universally applicable to anyone in any situation um whatever their circumstance whether it's about survival (laughs) right right Uh, or or being in the in a rut in your career or right
2: um right
0: it's all so many overlap and so much overlap in the tools and i imagine that these, I mean, these are really powerful lessons and anecdotes and tools that you're discovering that sharing those with others is going to be really powerful. And yeah.
1: What's fascinating, Ethan, is that even when I was going through the worst of it, everybody came to me for advice on how to handle things and I could guide them out of whatever they were in, but I couldn't do it for myself.
0: Right. Yeah, I don't, I haven't talked to anyone either with the podcast or in my last dozen years of looking for mentorship and help and guidance and looking for examples of successful people. I haven't found a single person that was able to do that for themselves. Yeah.
1: It, it's, that's why coaches exist and friends yeah. and circles. Uh, a good friend of mine is Bob Berg, and I was at an event he gave several years ago called The Big Event. And John Maxwell spoke and Randy Gage spoke and John David Mann spoke and, and Bob and, and several other people. And you'll want to Google those names, everybody, because those are just some really, really wise people. And a common thread that they said was, if you're the smartest person in the room, you need to find another room. not that you can't help the people in that first room but you need people smarter than you with different perspectives in order to help you grow yeah and shift your own ruts
0: yeah that's that's that can very definitely be applicable in many people's lives and it could also be and that the ego is at a place where it's not willing to be less than the smartest person in the room right yeah yeah well this has been an amazing inspiring conversation laura and i am looking forward to keeping tabs on how your journey goes and i know that the book you're working on is going to be uh wonderfully transformative for those who are able to read it
1: thanks you're one of the few people that know i was, i'm actually starting on a new book and, and it is called a little bit disheveled
0: yeah well and anybody else who's anybody else who's listening you know keep your keep your ears out for laura stewart a little bit disheveled and be sure to check out what would a wise woman do meanwhile and laura it's been a pleasure talking with you
1: oh same here same here you've given me so many insights and i've had so many ah ahas of stuff that i you've cleared more things for me so thank you for Mm. your wisdom
0: my pleasure I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Fearless Storyteller. As a reminder, any and all links can be found in the show notes. And if you're enjoying this podcast, will you please consider leaving a review? By doing so, you'll be helping new listeners discover The Fearless Storyteller podcast.